So good. You're welcome to take a seat once you've done that. Man, good to see you in church. Um, I want to tell you this morning a story about an old man who was complaining about his old age. Ever heard old people complaining about how old they are? Uh, this is what he said. He said, oh, I've sure gotten old. I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement. I have new knees. I fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind. I can't hear anything louder than a jet engine. I take 40 different medications to me and they make me dizzy and winded and I often have blackouts. I have bouts with dementia. I have poor circulation. I can hardly feel anything in my hands or feet anymore. And I can't remember if I'm 85 or 92. <laughs> I've lost all of my friends. But thank God, I still have my driver's license. <laughs> Be careful in the streets there, guys. You know, it is a reality of life that at some point we all have to face our own mortality. We have to face the fact that everyone you just greeted one day will die. Welcome to New Life Church, where we make you feel great about yourself, right? <laughs> Every one of us are going to die, and I don't know if it's true for you, but I'm certainly saying it's true for me. I'm only 40 years old. And already it just feels like the older I get, the faster it goes. Like it just life is like a year used to feel really long. Now I'm like, that's just a year. Like it just, I, I really see scripture has so much truth when it says in James 4.14 that your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Today, I want to speak about one of the most inevitable parts of your life, and that is your death. When last did you think about your death? Chances are, you probably haven't for a while. Because a lot of us get freaked out by the topic. We don't want to think about our death. We don't like to talk about death at all. We, we don't like to talk about it in general. In fact, studies show us that 54% of people never consider their own death, and yet death is as certain as life. Like we know that we're all going to die. In fact, today I want to look at a very seldom preached on and taught and quoted psalm, Psalm 49. So if you have your Bibles, you can already go to Psalm 49. If you have the New Life Bible app, we've put all the notes there ready for you. We're going to be looking at some truths, and the first truth I think is already pretty clear, and the truth is this, death is certain. It's certain. Look at someone in the eye and say, you're going to die. <laughs> now, that might feel really weird, but it's also really true. No one gets out of this alive. The death rate is still at 100%. 10 out of every 10 people die. Right? And in fact, when the psalmist is about to talk about this topic of death, he goes out of his way to make sure we all know it includes us. This is how he starts us. Hear this, he says in Psalm 49, verse 1 and 2. Hear this, all of you people. 
All of you who live in this world, he's not just saying, hey, this is just for the Jews. This is just for Jerusalem. This is just for Israel. This is just for my family or my brothers. No, no, no. Hear this, all of you people, and then if there's any doubt that you're part of that category, he really breaks it down. He says, both high, what's he speaking about? Those who have power, those who have influence, those who in our society we look up to, they're high. They might have business, they might have leadership, they might have influence over others, people following them, both the high and the low. Who's he talking about? Those without any influence, those without any status, those who are victimized in society, those who have no voice, those who are forgotten, those who are shunned, those who are pushed to the side, both the high and the low. And then he goes, the rich, those who have wealth, and money and fancy houses and really nice cars. Those who are able to dress well and shop at fancy places and go on worldwide vacations and the poor. Those who are worried about what they're going to have today for lunch. Those who are unemployed, looking for money without any security. When he's talking about debt, he wants to make sure you understand that this applies to every mortal thing on earth. Hear this, all my people, everyone in the world, both the high and the low, the rich and the poor. No one gets out of this alive. All of us are going to die. And this is a topic fully covered in Scripture. In fact, did you know that this word death in Scripture is mentioned 394 times? It's six times away from 400 times the Bible talks about death. Like, it's an extensively covered topic. One of the most famous parts that talk about death is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 from verse 1. And it says, for everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And it just so happens that those two things happen simultaneously all the time on earth. People are both being born and they're dying. Do you know that every second, about 4.3 people are born on earth? Right? That's, that's a lot. In fact, we see in every hour, about 6,300 people die, and about 15,000 people are born. Every single hour. Right? Every second, 4.3 people born. And two people die every second. So we know even when you're born, you're born to die. These things are happening all the time. And I can say with confidence that there will be one at a time in your life where your home is either six feet underground or floating in the air as some ash. But it's going to happen to all of us. Death is certainty, and it doesn't matter how much you run and how much you diet and how many vitamins you take and how many calories you're watching and how often you're in the gym. Doesn't matter how many pills you're taking. Doesn't matter how many supplements and how good your lifestyle is, death is coming. Now, I'm not saying don't do those things, but, but death is coming. Death is certainty. What else do we learn from Psalm 49? The second thing we see is that life 
is unstable. Can I get an amen? amen. Life is pretty unstable. Uh, there's this famous saying of one guy who says that we live with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, but the foot that's on earth is on a, on a banana peel, right? Just, <laughs> like, it's just like, this is how life feels. It's just like so unstable. And, and like life, we just don't know what we're going to get. Sometimes we get good days and we wake up for no reason in a great mood. Ever happened to you? You fling out of bed, you're not even tired, you don't even press snooze, you start chirping with the birds, you skip to work, you're like, wow, this is a great day, hello, and hello, and hello, and Jesus loves you, and this is amazing, aren't you happy to be alive? And then you get those other days, right, where the alarm goes off and you're like, you're like, do I have to, Lord? Do I have to? Can't I just, <laughs> I'm sick, can't go to work. Right. It's like, oh, and you're snappy, and you're like, don't talk to me. And you're like, rah, 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 rah. and you're like, why am I like this? Why do I hate being alive right now? Like, and it, we know life is unstable, but sometimes it's unstable, not because of no reason, but because life throws us trials. In fact, here in Psalm 40, 49, he says it like this in verse 5. Why should I feel fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? In other words, there are going to be times where you can see the evil in life. Like there's going to be things that happen to you that are just bad, and suddenly the spiritual warfare is no longer this mysterious thing that's behind the curtain that you can't see, but you see the evil in your life. You can see how the enemy is stealing and killing and robbing and destroying. Sometimes it's going to feel like wicked deceivers surround you. Have you ever found, felt like you're surrounded by wickedness? Like you look to the left and there's a problem. And you're like, oh, I look to the right. Ah, there's a problem. Right, so I want to move forward. Oh, there's a problem. No, let me go back. Ah, there's a problem. Right, and I'm just like, what is going on? There's just wickedness surrounds me. And that's going to be the reality of our life because life here is unstable. But I want to be specific about the kind of life that's unstable because actually when the word life is translated into English from the original Greek, there are three different types of life in the original Greek that the authors could be speaking about. The first type of life is the word bios. Everyone say bios. In the Greek, bios is a word we get biology from. And it means the biology of a living thing. The body, the flesh, the blood, right? The actual physical being. This is probably where we think a lot about when it comes to life. Because we worry about the bios. What will it eat? Where will it live? And how does it look? And how's the hair today? And how's the calories today? And how thin am I? And how much exercise? We put a lot of effort into the bios, but can I say, your bios is unstable. Because we're just one doctor's report, one pandemic, one virus, one sickness, one accident, one act of violence away from our bios not being okay. And you'll know if you've had your health ripped from you, 
or the health of a loved one ripped from you, you'll know how unstable life gets. Man, it's one of the pillars of our life. When that is hit, your entire life becomes unstable. The second form of life that the Greek speaks about is the word suki. Everyone says suki. It's a word we get psyche from, or psychology, or psychological, and what it speaks about is your inward life, right? This inner life, your thoughts, your emotions, your personality, and can we say that is unstable? As I've already said, sometimes you're going to be in a great place, but other times your suki is going to be crippled with anxiety and worry and stress and hurt and offense, and anger, and rebellion. You're just gonna find all these things in your psyche. You wish, we want it to be stable, but unfortunately, even our suki is unstable. The third form of life that's translated from the Greek is the only form of life that is stable, and it's a word, zoe. Everyone say zoe. Zoe is spiritual life. In fact, when your Bible is translating from the word zoe, it often uses the word eternal life or life everlasting. A good example of this would be when Jesus is speaking and he says this in the book of John. And he says this in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life eternal life. Where does this eternal life come from? It comes from a brand new birth. We get born into the Zoe. We get born into eternal living. We get born into this new way of life. Zoe, eternal life. This is a part of you that will always live. It will live even when your bios dies. It will live Beyond this life, it will face, in fact, one day, even a judgment day of its own. Listen to this promise that's coming in Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 27. It says, just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes what, church? Judgment. Every carbon-based life form on this earth is destined to die once, and all human beings are destined to face judgment. Now, the Bible's not telling us this just so that we can intellectually be aware of it. The Bible is telling us this so that we can prepare for it. Look at someone and say, prepare for it. We should prepare for it because there will come a time when our soul lives on, right? It's going to live on, and you're going to wake up in another place. It won't be earth. In fact, there's a story told once about a guy driving his car. He hit a ditch, and without knowing it, he rammed into the pole of a shell garage, and he was knocked unconscious. And as his car hit the pole, the S from the word shell fell off. So a few moments later, a few moments later, he's got blood everywhere. There's fire in his car. He wakes up, and it says, hell. Open 24 hours a day. Uh, well, the reality is when you die, that's a possibility of you waking up in hell. Because we're going to wake up either in one of those places. 
right? When you die on this side of earth, you're gonna take your last breath here, and then you're gonna take your next breath in another place. And that next breath is either gonna be in heaven or in hell. Now, if you die before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the type of heaven or the type of hell you go to is a temporary type of heaven and hell. We refer to it often as paradise and Hades. We know after the second coming of Jesus, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that new heaven will be our eventual permanent heaven. So the heaven you go to now isn't the permanent one that's still to come. And the hell that you go to now, the Hades you go to now, again, isn't the permanent one. The permanent one is only established after Judgment Day when the devil and all of his followers are thrown into the great lake of fire. That becomes the permanent hell. But right now, if you die, you're going to take your last breath here and your next breath somewhere there. Which one will you be going to? You might be thinking, well, how do I know? How can I tell? What decides where I end up? And there's one word that decides where you end up, and it is sin. Everyone says sin. You see, if you die and you have sin on you, man, that's a big problem. You know why? Because God, He's so holy, and He's so pure, and He's so righteous, and He's so perfect and powerful that anything with sin on it, if it were to be in the pure presence of God, it would die. It cannot survive, which means if you have sin on you when you die, the only option is for you to live in an eternal place without God in the room. Now, if I were to remove God from the atmosphere, I'd be removing all light, all kindness, all goodness, all patience. I'd be removing everything that was holy, everything that was pure, everything that was admirable or lovely, and all I would be left with is pure hell. And so we have a problem, because if we die with sin on us, and we haven't got rid of that sin, man. All we can do is spend eternity in a place without God. Now, that brings us to the third truth of the day, is that heaven can't be bought. Look at someone and say, you can't buy it. Right, there, there is no earthly wealth or earthly security. You know, we're often chasing security. In our mind, what is security? We're, we're often chasing, like, if just my bank account can be secure, I'll be at peace because I have security. If I just have enough money and wealth, I'll be at peace because I have security. But it's such a lie because that money buys you nothing. It doesn't buy you any security. Psalm 46 is going to double down on this, and it says this from verse 6. Those who trust in their wealth and boast about their great riches, <laughs> no one can redeem the life of another. Who can redeem the life of another? No one can do it or give to God a ransom for them. No, the ransom for a life is costly, and no payment is ever enough. So that they should live life on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, and the foolish and the senseless 
also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Listen, don't be jealous of a wealthy person who dies. It just means they've left more behind. Someone asked a millionaire after they died, they're like, how much did they leave behind? Do you know how much? Every cent. You almost feel sorry for the Egyptians, right? They had this custom that people would have to be buried with their wealth. And so they would bury with them their golden sarcophaguses and their jewelry and their diamonds and all this wealth. And the hopes, the belief was that they could take that into the afterlife, but the reality is it just increased their disappointment. Because they would just wake up and now face a great disappointment because Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I will leave. Listen to these wise words in the book of 1 Timothy 6, 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take, what? what can we take out of it? Nothing. Jesus even tells the story of a, of a young, wealthy entrepreneur. And he was doing well, and he had so much, and he was gaining more stuff. And then he had this problem, and he was like, I'm running out of storage. I'm running out of space for my wealth. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger storerooms, and I'll build bigger barns. And so he builds bigger barns, and God looks at him and says, Ah, you fool. He calls him a fool. For this very night, your wealth and your life will be taken from you. And then what will happen to all the stuff you've accumulated? It can't buy you anything. Now, it's not saying that wealth is wrong or riches are bad. It's just don't put your hope in that, and don't think that's security, because it's not. Some of you don't try buy heaven or security with money, you try to do it with good deeds. And you think, well, if I could just live good enough, if I could just earn this with God, well then, man, that's how I'm going to get into heaven. And scripture even tells you, not only can't you buy it, but you can't even earn it. It says in Isaiah 64, we are all infected and impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds. They are nothing but filthy rags. I want you to think about your most righteous day. Have you ever had a good day and you ended the day and thought, man, today I was a good Christian. I woke up, I had a quiet time. I spoke to God, I said grace. I memorized a verse. I went to church, I didn't miss the course. Like today, I just ticked all the religious boxes. Man, I'm so good. And God looks at that and says, well, that looks like a filthy rag to me. When you compare your righteousness to mine, it ain't so good. Can you get that filthy righteousness away? You can't earn it, church. No man is righteous enough. No woman is righteous enough on their own. Heaven can't be bought. You can't buy it with money, and you can't buy it with effort. And that really brings us to the plot twist of what happens when God steps into the picture. What happens to death when God steps into the picture? And here's the fourth and final truth from Psalm 49. Heaven can be gifted. Look at someone and say, it can be a gift. It can be gifted. In Psalm 49, verse 14 and 15, it says, they are like sheep and they are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave Far from their priestly mansions, but God will redeem me from the realm of dead. 
he will surely take me to himself. But God will redeem me. Have you, can you see the difference from verse 7 that we read earlier where it said, no man can redeem another, to verse 15 when it says, but God can redeem me. God can redeem me. I want you to know God can redeem you. And you might be wondering, how? How can God redeem me? How can he get rid of the sin that I don't want to die with? Heaven can't be bought or earned, but it can be gifted. In fact, Psalm 49 says, God will redeem you. You know what that word redeem means? It's a word often used with slavery. When someone offers to pay for the price of a slave, but instead of demanding that slave work for them, they offer the slave freedom. They pay for their freedom. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. You see, there is one thing that can wash away our sin, and it is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do it. No amount of earning and striving and wealth will do it. Nothing else is the antidote for sin. The only thing that has been offered for your sin is the blood of Jesus, the perfect blood, the perfect sacrifice. Man, it's so holy and so pure and so powerful. It has the ability to wash you clean so that when you take your last breath on earth, you can now step in boldly to the presence of God. Your sin no longer separates you from Christ. You can now live with God in eternity. You can live in the pure holiness of God, the pure power of God, the pure righteousness of God. Why? Because you stand there clean. Not on your merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ. Not on your righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he no longer sees your righteousness. He sees the righteousness of God. So it means death is temporary. We might die these physical deaths, but we no longer die spiritual deaths. You might wonder where this redemption happened. It happened at the cross. You see, heaven can't be bought or earned, but it can be gifted. And this promise is more than just spiritual church. The promise is that one day even your physical bodies will be glorified. Even your physical bodies will one day be remade. Scripture talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about these glorified bodies because heaven is not just a spiritual place, it's a physical place. Jesus actually gives us this beautiful promise. He says this in uh, the book of John 14, verse 2 and 3. I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. One day our decaying bodies will become glorified bodies and our bios will no longer be unstable a body free of pain and disease and sickness and instability. This is what Jesus has done for us. You know, I heard of a lawyer once who wanted nothing to do with God, and he was on his deathbed. And um, like most people, there was a Bible in the house. He was lying on his deathbed, and he asked his wife to bring him the Bible, and she was so shocked because he didn't want anything to do with God. They weren't religious at all. And so she brought him the Bible, and he blew off the dust. <laughs> Right, and he opened it at the beginning. His wife came in a little bit later. She saw that he had flipped over a few pages. 
She came back later that night. She saw him still going through it. She came in the next morning. She saw that he was still going through it. And eventually, she looked at her husband and said, honey, what are you doing? And he said to her, I'm trying to find the loophole. <laughs> you know what? There is a loophole to death. And his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that the Bible has told us this so that we can prepare for what is next. One of the oldest manuscripts in this Bible is the book of Job. And there's this beautiful passage in Job chapter 19, verse 25. He says, but as for me, I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed by the thought of it. Death is not the end, my friends. Jesus is the final word. And for a Christian, a death is just a bend in the road. In fact, death becomes, in many ways, our friend because death reminds us of the power of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the promise of Jesus and anyone who now dies in Jesus. They receive the victory that Jesus has over death and the grave because they are in Christ. And now the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, it now lives in us. This is a great promise of Scripture, that you don't have to die with your sin. That there is someone who wants to gift you heaven. And I want to say in a room this size and with an audience like this, there, there must be many people who are watching today or listening today and they don't realize that they're very close to the end of their life. They don't know that today, that they're right close to those gates, that they're not gonna see next year, October. There are many people who we've greeted and interacted with who most likely won't be here next year and we don't know who's close to the gates. So Jesus, he gives us this instruction and he gives us this promise so that you and I can go to this, to whatever's next. We can go to it with confidence and we can go free of sin. Because I want to say this to you. If there is no afterlife, if there is no heaven and no hell, then really nothing really matters, right? We can just do what we want, live how we want. We're just meat packs who... Just live here with no purpose and no meaning. If there's really no heaven and no hell, then nothing really matters. But if there is a heaven and there is a hell, then nothing else matters. <laughs> nothing else matters. And we've got to make sure that our lives have accepted the gift of heaven, that we've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, so that at the end, it's not us being judged, but it's Jesus being judged on our behalf. He wants to redeem you, church, because the reality is death is certain. And while we're living, man, life is unstable. And you're going to try in this life to get security, but heaven can't be bought and it can't be earned. But it can be given. And the gift is available even now. In fact, I want to pray for you. Can I ask you to close your eyes? I believe that there are some of you in the room, 
you're ready to receive that gift of heaven. That you are ready to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. Some of you that are watching right now or listening right now, you're ready to receive. That you, you don't have to buy this or earn this. You can just receive it. It is the most important decision that you get to make in your time on earth. It is the one decision that determines everything else. And maybe you haven't made it yet. Maybe you've never accepted what Jesus has done. Maybe you've never accepted his gift. But today you know you're ready to do it. You're ready to become a Christian. Well, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand or come to the front or any of that. I just want to pray with you. And so I know who I'm praying for. If that is you, you want to make the decision today to receive the gift of Jesus. I just want you to put your hand up and put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. We, we're, we're getting new family members today. The, the kingdom of God is growing today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I want to invite us to pray a prayer where we give our hearts to Jesus. And if you raise your hand, I want to say to you, what really matters right now is not the words you're saying, but the words your heart are saying, that you believe what you're saying. In fact, it's a sign of support and solidarity. I want us all to pray. Let's show our support to these new family members that God is adding today. Let's pray these words. Repeat after me. Dear God, Thank you for your love. Thank you for finding me. God, I give my life to you from this day and into eternity. I am yours. And I'm so sorry for how I've lived and the things I've done. Please forgive me. Thank you that your blood washes away my sin, that I'm clean before you today. Because Jesus Christ, I believe you are Lord of all, that you are the Son of God, that you lived and died and rose again. And so I gladly give you my life. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we just celebrate with those, the many who gave their hearts to the Lord? Beautiful to see.